This is Unaided, the brand building podcast brought to you by Leakside, a team snap company. Get ready to learn about brand marketing strategy from the experts. Here's your host, Evan Brandoff. Hello and welcome to the Windgrin podcast. I'm your host, Evan Brandoff. Today, we welcome Mike Schreiber, the founder and CEO of Playfly Sports onto the show. He's a visionary who has helped revolutionize the world of sports entertainment. Let's get into it. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, Evan. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, we are psyched to have you. And Mike was just generously offering a little Playfly Cribs. So this is your new office, Mike? Yeah, we just actually, we literally got our certificate of occupancy today. So we're actually not even 100% finished, but so excited to be here in the space. And it really comes with the culture and community of Playfly Sports and what we're all about, which we'll get into in a minute. But just to maybe I'll just walk you around if that's okay. And Please show do. you a little bit of the space. So just a little background, built in 1913 as a live stage theater, about 10 years before movies came out. So <laughs> I think they missed the window, but <laughs> turned it into a pretty cool picture house. And then actually it was a roller rink in the 40s and 50s. Even Dick Clark and his local bandstand events here, his local bandstand events here in the late 50s, wow. uh, when he was a Philadelphia guy before he went national and moved to LA for American Bandstand, the TV show. But anyhow, so it's got this cool history and these really interesting, neat sort of uh, metal and brick bones here. I'll show you around real quick. I'm going to, so hopefully no one vomits off of my movement here, but I'm going <laughs> to walk I'm literally going to walk with the computer, but you can see this is my office that I'm in right now here, but I'll take you out to the main floor here and give you a sense of this. You can start to get a see for what it looks like. We've carved out the middle and re totally redone it. We carved a hole in the middle of the floor for our wow. basketball court. So we got the basketball court here, <laughs> which is I pretty cool. It. We're doing some painting right now of the space, but each of the offices sits surrounding the open space where we have our basketball court here. We've got our Jumbotron on the back, which is currently not on at the moment, but a big, huge screen to allow us to project scores. Or you know, a lot of times we just put the games up there that we want to watch during the day while we're working. But you can sort of see the structure here as I take you around in the basketball court down in the middle. And then we have offices surrounding that on the bottom. And then we've got this cool skybox conference room right up there where wow. we have meetings that overlooks three floors down, which is kind of fun. So just gives you a little bit of a sense of the spot and even tried to use some of the reclaimed wood. If you look at the top of these offices here, you can see the beams. Those beams are actually pieces of the beams that we cut out actually for the opening for the basketball court. So we really wanted to use some of the history here in what we built. So yeah. So, that's so a, who, who is the office champ at the free throw shooting? Well, so I would say I am, but that would be a lie. I would just be trying to influence the audience here because I'm the CEO, <laughs> but we actually have some pretty significant sports leaders inside of our company. So the president of our college and high school division, she actually won the national championship with Stanford and basketball in 1992, um, the captain of the team. So she's uh, <laughs> probably one of our best. We have AJ Bramlett, who was on the Arizona national championship team a while back. They may even pull it off again this year. We'll see. But AJ works for us. You know, we've got people with a World Series rings. We've got people with Stanley Cup rings. So 
I am the least qualified to be the champion of the basketball <laughs> shooting contest at Playfly Sports. But so anyhow, my career ended in 12th grade when I decided I didn't want to practice every afternoon in college and decided I wanted to have more free time. So my organized sports career ended at that point. <laughs> well, well, let's start there. And I'm so excited to hear about everything going on at Playfly. Congratulations on the new office. It is incredible. But let's talk about high school, Michael. Where are yeah. you from originally? So I grew up in Baltimore and spent my early days as a Baltimore Colts fan, actually. Oh. So it gives me a little bit of an age factor for you. On, <laughs> But yeah, Baltimore Colts fan, literally 10 years old, middle of the night. They disappear. Back then, you got an evening paper. So literally, the evening paper landed on our doorstep. The Colts are gone. And I'm this kid, like every Halloween picture was me in a Colts uniform. Uh, I went with my grandfather and my father to the games at the old Memorial Stadium. And wow, that hurt. So I grew up in Baltimore, played sports my whole youth. And in high school, all three sports, I played football, basketball, and switched between tennis and lacrosse because lacrosse was a huge thing in Baltimore, still is a huge thing in Baltimore. And I just couldn't hack it. I wasn't good enough. So I had to switch out of lacrosse with all my friends being amazing lacrosse players and uh, me sitting on the bench. So I switched to tennis so I could actually play. Um, (laughs) And then I spent a bunch of time, got married in Chicago, amazing wife, three kids, live in Philadelphia now after about 12 years in New York. And we put our headquarters here in Philadelphia, selfishly, because I live here even though our largest office is in New York and we have people spread out in 31 states throughout the country now, but Philly's our headquarters. Well, being a Philly entrepreneur, the Philly area is a great place to start and grow a business. So in addition to you living there, there's a lot of perks to to being in Philly. So you went to UVA and then what was your first job after school? Yeah. So right after school, I went into a consulting firm for a period of time, sort of a traditional step into the workforce. But immediately, probably 18 months in, decided that wasn't for me. So I actually went into a tech startup, actually, at that point in time, jumped out of the consulting firm, left the solid income and went to really try something. That was in the time of the B2B sort of vertical auction type models for materials. It was a big hype thing, probably. And it was 1999 and 2000. So did that. Great time. Great experience. Learned a ton. Joined as like employee 30, maybe. And we went up to about 180 and then used going back to business school as my sort of my play as we went down to about 20 people. And I was still there because I was cheap. So the whole roller coaster. (laughs) That startup, was that in the media space? No, it was actually in industrials. It was in the plastic space, industrial trading. So it was not in media. So it was just happened to be people that I knew that were looking for some, some smart people that were inexpensive talent. So I hopped in and just got some of my early entrepreneurial itch started in that space. Uh, It wasn't until I went to business school, I went to Kellogg at Northwestern, that I was able to focus on really my long-term career, which was going to be media, sports, and entertainment, So, which is what it has been. So after Kellogg, I hopped out and went and worked for actually a company called NBC. (laughs) It was not NBC Universal, was not anything else. It was NBC. It was owned by General Electric at the time actually did a General Electric management program as well during that stint and really interesting. And then over those 10 or so years that I was at NBC, we bought everything else. We bought Universal. We bought all these other brands, whether it was Telemundo and Bravo and all these businesses to what NBC Universal is today. 
And then I even got traded in the Comcast acquisition of NBC Universal from General Electric. So ended up still within the org, but going to the dark side, as I call it, the cable company <laughs> and helping them with digital transformation. I noticed that you were part of the founding team at Hulu back in 2006 while still being at NBC. Was NBC behind Hulu? How did that work? Yeah. So interesting background here, but yeah, I was part of the founding of Hulu and we actually ended up founding it with a team at Fox. So it was my team at NBC Universal and then a team at Fox founded the business out of our... So entrepreneurship versus you know entrepreneurship. So inside big companies, we built that business and then ultimately handed it off to an independent management team led by a guy named Jason Kalar, who's actually now the CEO of Warner Media. So interestingly enough, that original implementation of Hulu was focused on countering what was happening around piracy of content. So the bit torrents of the world and even the early days of YouTube that was not necessarily managed at that point like it is now, all this content that was being produced by the entertainment industry and the sports industry was ending up for free in these locations. And there was two opportunities, offense and defense, right? So defense certainly takedown notices and lawsuits and a number of players were very active in the defense side. And then a group of us decided, well, maybe we should be on the offense side. We should figure out a window of content that allows people to access certain types of content for free. Hmm. And that was the theory behind this. So a really interesting stories. I can go on for a while and all the different stories and the evolutions, but we took a package of our content and we went and pitched to a bunch of interesting big digital companies at the time, which you would think is funny if I told you, like, for example, one of them was MySpace, just huh. to give you a sense of, of the history there. But I went and pitched a lot of them on this idea of aggregating, taking our content, maybe aggregating some other major media content into one experience and creating this window and didn't get the shiniest reaction to that at the time, which is interesting when you think about it now. So we did it ourselves. And a lot of interesting history about why it was only Fox and us and not a bunch of other companies. And when Disney came in, when Time Warner came in, and all these elements are just some really interesting stories in the background and the history of the media business moving into digital. But my role at NBC Universal was digital transformation. So the founding of Hulu was one piece of that. But for example, I put the first linear TV network, full TV network on a phone. It was a flip phone in 2006 with our partners at Sprint. And it was literally one frame a second. So, I mean, talk about slow, right? One frame a second is, I don't know if you can see my hand, yeah. but very slow, but we did it, right? So a lot of really interesting firsts back then. And so I had a lot of fun doing that. And then as I transitioned, as Comcast bought the company, I transitioned over to the Comcast side of the business, basically to help with a similar digital transformation. So taking the screen and box model that you have in your living room, where you have all your channels and all your on-demand and making it a digital experience. So a lot of time negotiating with the professional sports leagues and movie studios, et cetera, to get all the rights to be able to pull that off. But now, if you are a Comcast subscriber in the country, not now, but five years ago, if you're a Comcast subscriber in the country, everything that's in your living room is also on your phone. Mm-hmm. Um, so important transformation for a business like Comcast Cable. So that's a little bit of background there, but fun stuff, lots of tough negotiations and tech builds, but it really took Comcast's video service leaps and bounds in front of any other major distributor in the country. So interesting. So much to unpack there. It's incredible what you achieved in that span of, of your career. So I guess for starters, 
you were working in industrials. <laughs> you went to business school. At that point, did you know you wanted to be in media? What was driving you there? And how did you end up yeah. graduating business school and being in a position where you could achieve all of this? Well, it's a great question. So it was interesting. And I always had interest in art and entertainment as a kid. I was a photographer, an art photographer as a kid and did some professional work even in high school. So I always had this sense that I really liked the arts and I really liked media. I loved sports, obviously, as a kid playing a ton of sports. So those things I started to think about as I went to school, took a bunch of art classes at University of Virginia, go who's. As my time evolved and I went to sort of a general experience after college and went to a consulting firm where I got to learn from a bunch of different industries and then did the startup to really get that entrepreneurial itch going, I wasn't really interested in industrials at the time. But what it showed me, all those experiences showed me is that you can pick the career you want, meaning you can pick the industry you want to work in, right? Especially as a young person that's really building the beginning parts of their career. And I said, okay, well, I can go work in market locomotives in Erie, Pennsylvania for GE locomotive division. I can go work in insurance in New York if I wanted to, but do any of those things really excite me? No, they don't. So what really excites me is sports, media and entertainment. So I actually just shifted and said, there's tons of jobs. There's tons of businesses. There's CEOs here. There's heads of marketing there. There's salespeople in all of those industries that I love, sports, media, marketing, people making movies, people producing a broadcast of, of sporting events, people running teams, all of that stuff. Those are all jobs that are really interesting. So the question was, all right, why don't I focus on the stuff that I love and make it a job as well? And that's what I did. That's really interesting. I mean, to that point, being an executive in one industry versus another, do you think it requires significantly different skills or it's the same skill set, just might as well do something you're interested in? Yeah. And I love the line that Mark Cuban always likes to say this line and worked with him in a little bit of a, actually a lot of different worlds where he says, if you learn to sell, you can learn to do anything. <laughs> and I love that because really selling is the key to anything. I mean, even if selling an idea, even if you're an engineer and you're going to sell an idea to your boss, you got to understand how to make a persuasive argument, right? So selling is one of the most important elements, especially for an entrepreneur who wants to do a, create a new business. You got to sell the idea. You got to get investors. You got to actually sell the product. So yeah, I just think that's a cornerstone of anything. Even if you're not going to be a salesperson, that's okay but selling is such a cornerstone to the business environment, no matter what you're doing and what role you're in. So I find that to be pretty interesting. But even if you're in a function that has no commercial elements at all, let's say you're an accountant, right? If you're an accountant and you love sports, go work in accounting in a sports organization. They need accountants just as much as any other company does. Right. And that's interesting for us. Like we go recruit. And when we recruit for an accountant, by the way, we're hiring. So anyone <laughs> listening, if you want to shoot me a note, but really great um, office. Yeah. And we have a great office. Exciting. You shoot some hoops on your lunch break, but we're looking for accountants, right? And there's a lot of sports organizations, whether you want to work for a team directly or a company like ours who supports teams and high school associations and colleges. So you have that opportunity. So it's really interesting. I didn't really think about it that way right when I came out of college and then sort of realized that, yeah, I might as well just focus on the stuff that I like to do and like to be around. Yeah. So... Going back to what you were saying about the founding of Hulu, I find it so interesting. So if I'm understanding it correctly, at that time, streaming consisted of BitTorrents, 
questionable, if legal, things on the internet. So was Netflix doing streaming at that point? Was there anyone else doing streaming? No, not okay. really. There were some sort of experimental things out there in the movie industry that were happening. They weren't really getting much traction yet. They were really a little too early for their time. But no, not a ton yet. Really not much anything in mass scale outside of YouTube. I mean, YouTube came on so quick, right? And then got acquired by Google so quickly. Everybody worried about that, whatever it was, the $1.5 billion that Google paid for YouTube. Was that a great idea, bad idea? Everybody thought it was a bad idea. It was a really good idea. Um, (laughs) Anyhow, and then you take like Fox bought MySpace for $600 million-ish, something in that range. Good idea or bad idea? I don't know. Could it have been an execution issue and it was a great idea? Could it have been a bad idea? I don't know. But obviously, when you look at it now, it looks like a bad idea, but that's not necessarily the full story. So a lot of interesting elements there. But yeah, that was the launch of Hulu. And then it wasn't until a year or two later that we ended up actually adding in a subscription component on top of the free service, which allowed you to put in content that wasn't necessarily available for a free window like broadcast content can be. And it added a whole new layer of interesting cable content that was being produced at the time. Most original content was being produced for cable channels back then. So some really interesting stuff from USA and FX. And that was really producing a lot of this. And AMC, like Mad Men, a lot of interesting content was being produced that that was really going to cable channels because those are the channels that had the wherewithal to pay for it. And then as those subscriptions matured, and obviously Netflix was maturing at the same time in parallel, you started seeing an opportunity to produce original content directly for the subscription service instead of having to go through a traditional network first. And that changed the whole paradigm in the business and really cracked it open to what it is today. So that's not how it started, interestingly enough. So interesting. All right. So the challenge you were solving at that point was people are going to consume this content illegally. How can we do it in a way that's super accessible? They do it legally through us. So let's now fast forward to Playfly. Yeah. What is the problem that Playfly is solving? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so it's a great question. So Playfly Sports is really taking some similarities, actually, when you think back to Hulu and some of the problems it was solving. But the problem we're solving is allowing sports organizations, which inherently are fragmented by their market, right? A pro team, a college athletic department, a high school state association, they're fragmented by their market. They don't have the national scale that an ESPN or an NBC Sports has to be able to necessarily sell across from a sponsorship and sales perspective, to build tech across and build scale. They don't have that weight in the marketplace. So because inherently, they're a small, medium-sized business focused on a certain geography. At the end of the day, we can actually provide that scale across sports organizations. So the goal we were trying to solve was trying to build scale and network effect for sports organizations. So they can create more and more value off of things like sponsorship and advertising sales by pulling in national and global brands. They could pull in technology that they wouldn't be able to actually invest in themselves because it would be too expensive for the size of their organization. We can invest it on a platform level and provide it to them. So we actually built out an organization that solved a lot of those problems. We drive significantly more revenue for all of our partners on a sponsorship and advertising basis. So for example, we sell whether it's in venue, the signs you see in venues, the sponsorships, whether you see it on digital media, if you go to lsuathletics.com, those advertisements, or whether it's TV, if you're watching, I'll stay with Philly for a minute. If you're watching the Sixers or the Flyers here in Philadelphia, 
you're going to see advertisements, whether they're virtual on the court or whether they're actually in the commercial pod that we sell at Playfly Sports. And we help them sell those advertising using that network effect. And then we drive additional technology where we're providing a number of different outlets for these organizations. One project that we just launched that we talked, I think, a little bit in our pre-discussion was we actually combined technology advancement, ad sales, and name, image, and likeness in college athletics into one project where we're actually having the two-star football players on Michigan State actually being the front of the camera leads, paid commentators on a live sportscast around the basketball teams going to the NCAA tournaments. So it's this cool combination of elements that you wouldn't necessarily have the resources or forethought or the ability to pull off if you didn't have some sort of partner that has scale and network effect attached to it. So we feel really excited about what we're doing in pro sports. Our biggest categories are baseball, basketball, and hockey. We have a little bit in MLS and a little bit in NFL. And then college and then high school in itself is a really interesting category. But really what we do is take and organize those fans for all of our partners and deliver them to brands is one of our biggest categories from advertising and sponsorship standpoint. So marketing teams at all of our brand partners really get excited about that because they can't really buy across a lot of these organizations without the ability to go to each of these organizations and put their buys together with their agencies and create a lot of time and work where they could buy from us in one shot. Like, I'll just give you an example. We actually have done a deal for the first time really in the industry that you can buy baseball, hockey, basketball, college, NFL, both on TV, on digital and in venue in one buy with one advertiser to be able to spread their brand across all of those different leagues, different teams and different geographies with one buy. So we create simplicity for the marketers to get their message and their campaign executed across the most valuable media in the world, which is live sports. Wow. So in theory, it makes so much sense. And I think it's incredible what you're doing. In practice, because historically, you couldn't buy across all sports and across all states. It's not necessarily how the marketing and advertising teams at big brands are set up. So I'm curious, how has the reception been for big brands because it is a shift in how they think about buying sports sponsorships and digital on a local basis. Yeah, it's been interesting. It's been an evolution. It's been the education, actually. So it's a lot of times is going into the rooms with the advertiser themselves and their agency in a lot of the big agency markets, uh, New York and LA and Chicago, and talking to them about what we do and how we do it. One of the things we learned early on was not only is it the execution, but it's a technical layer to be able to interact with all of the brand's agencies in a way that acts like kind of like a network. So for example, if it's just as easy to transact with the national sports network like TNT or ESPN or Fox Sports One, we want our interaction, our body to be just as simple. So we've actually built and learned that we needed to be as simple as possible. So we actually built out a technology platform that actually interfaces with the advertisers and the agencies just like a network would. But what we give them is so different. We give them access to all these markets across the countries, but they're all local fans. We're not giving one national fan who might be interested in the game. We're giving them local fans across the country, that community, that part of the community that they can't really get without calling 200 different organizations and doing 200 different ad buys, let's say. 
And we can give them all of those local fans, that passionate fan base that's sitting there watching. We call it rooting instead of watching. We think someone who watches a national sports network is watching. We think someone who's either at a venue or watching their local sports team in market is a rooting fan. Mm, versus I, a like that. I like yeah. that. And that's much more valuable for the advertisers. And we've proven that the ROI is higher, the engagement's higher, the recall's higher, you name it. Every research statistic comes back higher in that model. And, and the ratings are high. I mean, just look at a regional sports network's rating. Someone watching the Sixers game in Philadelphia is traditionally four to 10 times higher just on a pure ratings basis, right? No other metrics than it would be on that same person in Philadelphia watching a national broadcast of an NBA game that's not the Sixers. Right. Are schools that were historically working with IMG or Learfield, are they switching over to Playfly Sports or is this a complement to sponsorship teams they have locally? Yeah. So on the college side, which is where Learfield and IMG play specifically, they actually are focused in that category only. We've actually focused across the sports industry and we're really excited about high school and the community right. opportunity there, which we'll talk about in a minute. But yeah, in college, yes, we are working with schools that have historically been Learfield or IMG schools that have come over to use our services. But we're big believers that there's plenty of room in the marketplace for a number of big players. So it's not us versus them. We actually collaborate with them and believe they do great things as well. But we are very much focused on driving these new categories and really new effects. I mean, just the one category for us that we've been driving is sports betting. If you actually look at the college sports fan, the college sports fan, 92, 95, I forget exactly what the percentage is of the college sports fan is not a college student. <laughs> Interesting. It's, it's 25 years plus. Yeah. So is the college sports fan, right? right? So the student is only this group of, if it's a 5,000 person school, it's only 5,000 people out of the million fans of that school sports. So if you think about that from that perspective, Activating sports betting on college sports is really interesting. It's not happening on the national broadcast, so shouldn't it be happening on a local level too? So we actually have been leader in activating sports betting with a number of our local partners, obviously in pro, but even in college, we've been leading. Actually, we did the first deal in the SEC conference. We did the first deal in the Big Ten conference. We actually have the largest deal in college sports history as well with one of our partners. So yeah, we're trying to be innovative as well as partner with new schools that perhaps we're using one of our competitor services in the past. Yeah. I think something that you're doing that is so impactful is we see trends where digital is often the largest bucket in advertising spend, but there are trends towards reaching humans in real life when they're <laughs> cheering for what they're most passionate to complement their digital spend. And you're just making it easy to merge all those different spends and make it cohesive, which is incredible. Yeah. And we also have the live streams of all of those games as well. So if you look at like NBA games or even baseball, it's coming back. Thank you. Baseball for coming back. Big part of our business. But um, I feel like you were probably behind those negotiations. In oh some my capacity. gosh. We got phone calls from folks we know. I've worked with baseball for many years every week or so about some of the progress. And it was pretty not bright for a while. <laughs> so I was looking for some bright spots here and there, but Wow. I was totally surprised when they flipped a bit and they went back to full season. And so we're pretty excited about that. We're one of the largest sellers of baseball inventory in the world, actually, outside wow. of the league itself. So pretty excited about that. And, and as we were talking about digital, so all the games that are going to be presented on digital, which are really all the games, we actually have the ability to bring advertising and marketing to those streams. And not only are those more addressable 
for the audiences that we do already providing that local rooting fan versus the watching fan, but we can actually address it down to some of those fans profiles that they have out there about that fan to really give the advertiser even more direct exposure to just the audiences that are going to drive their business. So interesting. So you mentioned high school. Tell us more about the opportunity in high school. Yeah. So it's interesting. So if you just take an image of how college has evolved over the last 40 years into what it is now, right? If you aggregate all of college football, let's say, it is just as dominant as the NFL is, if not bigger in terms of influence in this country. So really interesting evolution. And obviously now with the kids, with the ability for them to get paid for endorsements and maybe some even further progress for college athletics and athletes themselves over time. But that evolution has now said, okay, well, what's next after this amazing professionalization of college sports? What's next? Well, it's high school. And high school is really, it's an amazing category with amazing people, students, stories, opportunity for storytelling, opportunities for community. It's even deeper into the community in our world. Youth sports is such a huge category. And especially as kids start specializing at younger ages, the actual competition is getting better at younger and younger ages. The stories are really interesting. Some of the kids and the struggles they have to go through just to get to the field to compete are really interesting and to support those kids in this space by bringing more and more sponsors and dollars back to try to provide greater and greater offerings is just something that's exciting and interesting. And the biggest problem had been that it's so fragmented. When you get down to a high school level and youth sports, it's so fragmented that you can't really bring the big dollars in to really support those communities. So what we focused on is we focused on the state high school associations where the state high school association actually does have the, that ability in each of their states locally to drive significant value back into their organizations and into their states. So we've actually started working. We've got about a third of the country that we work on with their state associations. And we actually bring in advertising to support their state championships, their state playoffs, and a number of other categories, both boys and girls sports across the whole gamut, not just football and basketball. And we really try to push the opportunity to bring new dollars into those spaces so the facilities are better the actual events are more professionalized and the students get even sometimes to play at amazing venues like the biggest pro venues in the country for some of these events, which sometimes for these kids, a once in a lifetime experience because they're not going to be able to play in college and they're not going to be able to go pro. Majority of the kids, most of the kids. So if you just take like the state of California, almost 900,000 high school athletes play in the state of California under the CIF brand in that state. And when you add engaged family members, you're talking about 3 million people that are involved in high school athletics every year in the state of California, which is pretty wild. So we're excited to be a part of that community and really stimulate the next wave of storytelling and opportunity. And again, just like college sports, these kids, as the high school sports gets more professionalized, which at the end of the day is going to drive dollars back to not only the organization's like the high school estate associations, the actual high schools themselves, but also the athletes. Over time, these athletes are going to get a persona for themselves that they're going to be able to monetize. They're going to be able to monetize it while they're an athlete, as well as after they retire from being an athlete, they're still going to be able to use, utilize this notoriety and really drive value for themselves, which is exciting because that does create a whole new category for people to create value for themselves, which is incredible. Uh, yeah. So. How has the reception been from advertisers for the high school opportunity? 
Yeah. Advertisers love community. So again, it goes to that same effect that I was talking about before when you defragment really local sports for national advertisers, which I was getting at before. The same thing happens at high school. But the interesting thing in high school is you're really getting down to the community level. You really want that brand to resonate with the moms and dads of the kids that are on the field. You want that brand to resonate with the local organizations, whether it's religious organizations, whether it's environmental organizations, whether it's other schools and educational organizations around, all of that matters. So the brands that show up in high school need to be community-based and community-supportive brands. And that's a little different than you have in college and pro. And we believe that's something that's really an area that we can help drive and really connect both the community with the advertisers And then the advertisers that are the right fit love that because that's exactly who they're going after. That's how they build their campaigns. They want to be part of the fabric of the community. They don't just want to be shouting at people. They want to be sitting with people. So that's a big thing that in terms of what we do is really try to make sure those matches work. And you see a lot of organizations and sponsors that are really the sort of the most contextual for that community environment. And that's what we strive for. I love it. Uh, Mike, this is so fascinating. I could ask you questions for hours, but I know you are on a tight schedule. So the last part of this interview is called the lightning round. All right. It's four questions. We've got two minutes. So the first thing that comes to mind for each question, okay? Sure, you got it. All right. Favorite youth sports memory? Sitting on the bench as a lacrosse player and deciding that was not my thing. <laughs> I like it. When you were in middle school, what did you want to be when you grew up? A filmmaker. Oh, I like it. Third question. What is a brand whose marketing you admire most? I would say Zappos. Really just their unapologetic focus on customer service as everything. They wore that in every way. It was just amazing. I envy that. Yeah. RIP Tony Shea. He was a true innovator. Yes. Yeah. And finally, what is a go-to cause that you support? So that is very at the moment for me. So my maternal heritage is Ukrainian. My grandfather came over when he was five years old. And my great-grandmother actually had to walk him and his siblings from outside of Kiev, Ukraine to Poland to catch a boat, which is just an amazing thing that you would never even fathom what happened again. But look what's happening again in that region. So Really, for me, that's the biggest focus I have right now is looking for ways personally for me to support the Ukrainian people and figure out ways for all of my extensions, whether it's the company here at Playfly Sports and who's willing to support. We have a number of different projects going, supporting a charitable efforts to get back to supporting people in Ukraine. But that's personal to me, as well as just uh, an amazingly uh, horrible situation that's happening. Yeah, it is absolutely terrible what's going on over there. But I hope your family and friends are safe and doing well. Appreciate that. Uh, so we don't end on a somber note. What's something exciting that you're looking forward to at Playfly? <laughs> yes, so we have a pretty exciting basketball tournament coming up. We have a number of teams. About six of the Playfly schools are in the tournament. So it starts tomorrow at noon. So we're excited to jump in and root for our partners and see how they perform. We've got some fun, exciting partners, USC and Michigan State, LSU, uh, great list of schools that are in the tournament. So we're excited over the next few weeks to watch them play. And even a partner down the street here in Philadelphia, Villanova, who's shown some pretty, pretty exciting signs of, of success this year. 
So that's the excitement for us. I'm excited to watch the games tomorrow and Friday. Me too. Mike, this has been so interesting. A huge fan of yours and what you're building at Playfly Sports. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. It was fun to chat and look forward to talking again soon. Yes. Thank you for listening to today's episode with Mike Schreiber. As a recap, we discussed Mike pioneering the streaming world that we know today as one of the founders of Hulu and Playfly Sports, their ability to connect brands with sports fans from high school to pro. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Evan Brandoff. See you next time, everyone. Play on. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and leave a rating at leagueside.com slash podcast. For more educational and inspiring content, you can follow Leagueside on LinkedIn and Instagram at leagueside underscore. See you next time.